the physical world that we see every day, which is like the world of the senses, right? We see it, we hear it, we touch it, we taste it, we feel it. That's a very, very tiny piece of what's available. It's just so freaking obvious because that energy is very dense. And the rest, which is like the majority of what's available to us is non-physical support. And that's high vibrational support and high vibrational energy, which is less dense. So it's more subtle. And so as most people are living in the density of the physical world, the subtle energy is there all the time. It's just that we are so in the density that the non-physical support is completely lost on most people. But as you continue to raise your vibration through meditation, you'll be more in touch and more aware of that non-physical support and those subtle energies of, you know, the divine energy, your higher self energy, whatever it is that you want to call it. And then that becomes like your guiding light. That's what decides what races you're going to do and what shoes you're going to buy and what spatulas you're going to get rid of, because that's the one that's just all knowing. And it's the undisturbed part of you that doesn't get racked by anything. It's just, it's just, it just there is. until it can get out of here is what it is but it's the unchanging part no matter if we're in a body or we're not in a body body that energy is always the same it's the highest vibration of unconditional love what's up yt community welcome back to the show this is episode 146 of the yogi triathlete podcast I'm Jess, your host, and today I'm here with Coach Beach for our fab edition of Ask the YTs. We have listener questions on a bevy of topics, and we're going to dive into those today, and we are super grateful for you all. We've put up some new exclusives on our Patreon page for YTP patrons, so check those out. This is a 100% listener-supported podcast, so if you have been thinking about becoming a patron, just get over to patreon.com forward slash yogi and get her done. All right, diving right in, we've got uh, a new athlete to welcome on the team. So coach, you wanna do that? Bill is joining us from Florida. He is racing Ironman Lake Placid, which you all know is one of our favorite, if not the best race. We love it so much, we love that community. And if you're racing Ironman Lake Placid, we have a, a guided meditation. We'll throw it in oh, the, we do. Yeah, in the right. show notes. And it's on the old course, but I don't think the course has changed that well, much. Last year, they switched it for the yeah. anniversary, but I think they may be switching it back. I'm not. But it's so to funny it. to go back and listen to that and not judge myself because I have a little bit of a yoga voice. But that aside, you guys, people have said, including me, have... Uh, found it to be really helpful in their visualization on the day. So check so, that. We'll put that in the show notes. Bill will be joining Matt, who's also doing Lake Placid. So we have two athletes racing Lake Placid. Amazing, amazing course. Bill is also doing some swim races before leading into it. And uh, he's also part of the M21 group. So yeah. Bill is uh, is digging the yogi triathlete vibe. Yeah. He he's is, all in. He was just he was just waiting for to find Yogi Triathlete. I'm psyched that um, that he's a part of the family now. Okay, we're diving right into questions, you guys, because we got a bunch of them. So the first one is from Nicole. 
what to fuel with besides goose they have worked they have not worked well for me in the past how much real food and when is food good for a 50k i've had cramps in my legs in the final eight miles of a marathon salt seems to bloat and swell my feet and hands so the good thing about nicole is she's on our team so you can work with her really closely on this and i know the race that she's racing the 50k and i've raced it so i've got some good intel for her on that yeah why don't we t- when we start with what you well what you're experimenting with yeah okay so what i'm experimenting with so I just pulled out my chickpeas out of the oven. So I'm experimenting with using more whole foods on the front end of the race. And then I'm going to be going to gels and things like that towards the end of the race. And I do that because in the beginning, I'm, uh, I'm not going to be as tired. I'm not going to be pushing as hard. And at the end, I'm going to be giving everything I've got and I need fast fuel. I need stuff that's going to absorb easily. So I do go to gels at the end. So a couple of things I've been experimenting with over the last three weeks, I've been using these banana bites. And if you follow our Instagram at all, then you know, you've seen a picture of these guys already. There are four ingredients. It's bananas, oats, cinnamon, and... Chocolate, chocolate chips. chips. I always forget that. And so but I don't forget it. These, I always put it in the recipe. These are not just training um, yumminess anymore. It's actually food that we are consuming as a dessert because they taste just so good. They're so good. We're making a bunch of them. Yeah. So easy to make. Yeah. And I find that they work. I usually use them at the beginning of my training runs and I eat them like I'll take four with me and I'll eat those in succession until I move on to a different food. So I will put the link to that. It's from the vegancorner.com and I'll, it's not my recipe. I'll put the recipe in the show notes. so You can check those out. They're really good snacks for kids. Put them in their school lunches. Again, just four ingredients, minimally processed. And then the other thing I've been doing is I've been roasting chickpeas. So I take a whole can of chickpeas, throw them on a cookie sheet, throw them in an oven at 425 degrees for 12 minutes, and I add salt, a little bit of olive oil, a ton of turmeric, and a little bit of cayenne I did last time. And I've been eating those after I eat the banana bites because they're salty and they've got a little oil on them and they're really, really good. The other thing I use is potatoes and I prepare them similar, just a little bit of salt. I roast them up about 20 minutes at 425 degrees. And I've also used peanut butter and jellies and all of these things have worked really well for me. So Nicole, you got, you have to practice your nutrition because your gut is your gut and my gut is my gut and that's what I'm doing now and what I have been doing is playing with my nutrition. So I know what has worked for me in the past. Right now I'm kind of playing a little bit and who knows what I'm going to actually use on race day and I'll detail that after Lake Sonoma. But um, that's what I've been using for Whole Foods and as far as the timing of it, again, I use, I front load the beginning of my training with it. And then towards the end, I start using gels when I'm tired. Also, because I know that that's the flow that I'm going to use on race day, because towards the end of an ultra, I'm not going to be taking a peanut butter and jelly from 
from the aid station. That's just not gonna. Yeah, the that's get, not gonna game do on. Well. It's get to the finish line as quickly as possible with little, as little effort and as little blood flow moving from your uh, moving to your stomach to digest the food that you're putting in it. So you want to get those simple sugars in there really quick. And we actually just were at that talk at at the Canyon event, and um, we're, the same sentiment was reinforced that in later stages we want to just have those quick fuels in and out of the body. Yeah, and as far as the cramps go, what do you think about that Like in the last eight miles of a marathon? Well, let me say one more thing about the nutrition. I think it also relies on what your daily nutrition is. It's huge. So we just were at the Canyon 360 event and Magda Boulay, who's a very well-known ultra runner, did a nutrition talk. And it was it was so awesome, like, because I felt like she was saying everything that we subscribed I'm, to. I was looking at you and, you're, and we're shaking our heads. It was everything was exactly what we prescribe and what yeah and what we have found that works for us and the one of the last things she said was you know I know this is a sports nutrition talk but you cannot you cannot like sports nutrition this, these are my words not hers you can't sports nutrition yourself out of a out of a processed food crappy diet so the gut that you're bringing into race day is so important. And just like we can train our muscles, we can train our gut. And that's why practice is so very important. So I'd like to know, and I'll see you, Nicole. Um, that's the beauty of having you as a local athlete. I'll see you at our run group. And we can talk a little bit more. I've got some questions for you about why goos haven't worked for you in the past. And we need a little bit more detail on that and to really determine if it's a, a gut training situation, if you just need some new flavors. I, I need to know. We need to know yeah, why. Yeah, what your daily diet is. Why it hasn't worked. Right. And, and has it been certain intensities? And There's also the questions. salt, um, the, like it bloats and swells your feet and hands, but also running a marathon is going to do that anyway gonna do that anyway but right. is she retaining the salt like the salt's not even being absorbed yeah so. she's taking water in as well so liquids in like what's the liquid yeah so i'm gonna talk, talk so to we need to find out bit. a few things but yeah. as far as the training you know late stages of uh late stages of any race you want to be strong so a lot of what we do here at yogi triathlete is this and i was thinking about it a lot on my treadmill run this week which was a long progression run is that really is the sweet spot for running. It's that progression run. It's building in pace in blocks all the way to the end of whatever distance the run is, running at your strongest. So you're preparing your body to start easy and then run moderate and then run medium and then run mad, right? So it's those, it's those different changes in paces building through to the end. So in Nicole's case, we haven't worked long enough to build into these progression runs, but when that happens, Let's just say it's a four-hour progression run because we're talking ultra running. So those these are long runs. The first hour would be super easy walking, hiking. The second hour would be, you know, pick up the pace to jogging, maybe some walking. The third hour would be running, getting their feet under you, keep keep moving things forward. And then the final hour is what what's your best sustainable effort for an hour, whatever that looks like. Now, you need to set yourself up for success by backing off on those first two hours, I would say, so that you're not going out too hard. I know you went on the group run today at Canyon. And what was your experience? My experience was I was standing with the group and, and there was some legit fast runners there that were just legit, really good, solid runners from start to finish. And I'm not saying that people weren't bad runners that were bad runners, but 
So just the way that they were like, okay, we're going to head out this way. Let's go. I was kind of like in the front of the group and I'm not a front of the group runner because I knew there was, you know, some faster people there. And so those fast people went ahead and then everybody kind of passed me because I was starting out in like my starting pace, you know, like getting my feet under me and stuff like that. Then I started to pick the pace up a little bit and then, you know, we were doing an out and back. So I felt good. So progressively, but slowly picked up the pace. So it was like, um, so let's talk time here. So like my first quarter mile might've been like 11 minutes, then 1030, then 10 minutes. And then based like maybe just under 10. So like 945 miles and then got to the turnaround, turned around, felt really good. You didn't tell me to do a progression run, but I did. I turned around and, you know, passed several of the people who had been running in front of me the whole time. And I could felt, I could tell that they were losing their steam. And I see, we see that a ton in races. And I think that's one thing that you were really gifted by the coaches that you had worked with. And now you are gifting it to us that there has never been a race that I've done um, that I have not finished so incredibly strong where, where other participants are just yelling about how strong I look. And I know that some of our other athletes have felt that way. And it's just the way I run now. Like I'm okay with people passing me and being the last person in the group, but yeah, I saw that today. And I think that's, we see it a lot. Um, and you see it a lot in that group dynamic period, you know, I think it's so. more people don't know what to do. So they rely on, uh, they just fall back on whatever the group is doing and they go hard. Yeah. And that has its place. There are, you know, there are sessions where you want to go hard, but in, let's bring it back to Nicole, it's building into that strength later in the, later in the race. So these workouts you're doing, these hill repeats, these, uh, strength, strength workouts, strength training with squats and lunges, this is all building you towards that strength that you'll be able to hold and use to your advantage in the late stages of this 50k you're racing so yeah in this I, particular race like she's yeah, you know at it. about mile well. 22 she's got like a two and a half mile climb and it's pretty relentless and that people were falling apart on that part of it and i just i mean we did a whole podcast on that race but it's the black mountain 50k and then you summit at the marathon mark and then you still, you know, you still have six miles. six miles to go. And then you come down a very technical descent, but then you go out and you do that Manzanita route, which is so runnable. And again, people were just cooked and that's such a runnable portion that is free time out there. It's really fun. It's single track. It's really beautiful. A lot of up and down. It's like a, it's just a super fun section. So she wants to be able to run that really strong and those progression runs will help. And then I'm sure you'll be working with her on the race nutrition. All right, cool. Moving on, Lori. At the start of the race, sometimes I can't breathe in the water. This is directly related to being anxious about my swim time. I'm not nervous at all about swimming in the open water. I used to think it was because I went out too hard and that might have something to do with it. But I think the first stroke determined my race and then I get all nervous. I usually chill out eventually but overall, racing would be better if I had a more mentally tough approach to the start of the race. Much of this may change with all the work from the M21 revolution, but curious what you two have to say about this. Um, absolutely, Lori, this is going to continue to evolve because as you continue to meditate and raise your vibration, that 
the energy of anxiety is no longer going to resonate with you. And I'm living proof of that. I used to have anxiety attacks to where I've passed out in the past. And anxiety just does not touch me anymore. And it's not because I read a book and book on anxiety or anything like that. It's really just communing every day with that part of me that is always undisturbed. And so, yes, that's going to happen, but there are some things that you can do. And the first thing I'm going to recommend is, and BJ can recommend some training things and you can talk to your coach and see if those resonate, Lori, but in your meditation, so what's happened is that you have a programming in your subconscious that you get anxious about the swim. So this is where visualization and not just visualization, but what I call envisioning really is going to come into play because you need to reprogram the subconscious. So the subconscious knows when you show up to the swim start, the subconscious starts to feed you thoughts and sensations in that moment that say, you're not going to be able to breathe. And what we focus on expands. And because it's had this experience in the past, it's always going to be pulling from the past. So you can start reprogramming that subconscious in your meditation tomorrow. And how you do that, the difference between like visualization, you know, you're seeing yourself. And when I talk about envisioning, I'm talking about feeling yourself because you're an M21. So you know that the feeling is the manifestation. We can't just see the success of what it is that we wish to achieve. We need to practice the feeling because the feeling is the creation. It's the precursor to what we're creating. So if we're saying I'm calm, I'm calm, but we're freaking out, it's not necessarily an effective route. We want to practice being calm. So in your visual, in your meditations, envision yourself, go through this, you know, a swim start and go through it with practicing the feeling of being calm. And if any time in that envisioning, you start to get anxious, stop the visualization, stop seeing it, stop yourself and get yourself calm again and then pick it back up and feel that stroke and hear it, hear, hear the water, hear that like cacophonous silence of the beginning of a triathlon. You know how it is like nobody's talking. You can see people, you can hear the splashes of the water, but it's like this precious silence. Hear all of that, hear yourself breathing and feel the calmness of it. So now you're going to give yourself more success of showing up to a race and having this new programming in the subconscious. It's, it's huge. And, and we have a hundred percent control over these types of, of creations. And now that doesn't mean that automatically it's going to stop. But if you stay with it, if you use that will and you stay with it, it will um, become a thing of the past that is not brought up in the present anymore. So hopefully that's a helpful technique. I think it's, I mean, it's a super helpful technique. Yeah, you're going to the source. You got to put it into action. Right. And so I can recommend a a few physical things. One one is the pre-race pranayama, which we have on our website and we share with all our athletes and with the endurance community, anybody can, can read it. We'll, we'll put in the show notes, but it's a, it's a breathing pattern. It's four, I think it's four different breathing patterns that you work into 
your pre-workout routine and especially during the swim start. And it's increasingly important because Ironman's gotten rid of the, or at most races has removed the ability to get in the water beforehand for a practice swim. So you can use the swim bands to, to warm up physically, but you also need that breath. And I use this breath, you introduced it to me a few years back. And ever since I've, I've had unbelievable swim starts that have not taken me out of my rhythm and, and I'm able to, from the first stroke, like Laurie was mentioning, be into my groove. No matter if there's somebody next to me or going over me or in my zone, I'm still able to, to keep myself moving forward. And there's so many people that use that pre-race pranayama. I feel like someday, this is the world I envision, you're gonna show up to the swim start and everybody's gonna be doing the pre-race pranayama. Just gonna be standing there with their eyes closed, breathing. Yeah, being in self-regulating. Right essentially. So that really, really is helpful. The other thing, Lori, is mantra. First, do you have a mantra in the swim? The one that I like to recommend is long, strong, and calm. So every time your arm hits the water, it's, or one arm hits the water, it's you say long. The next time your other arm hits the water, it's strong. And then you finish with calm when your arm goes back into the water. You just keep repeating that. So it's three times. Um, and it's putting your awareness... awareness on that mantra will help the mantra helps to concentrate the mind as opposed to you know how explosive it is when you're like I can't breathe I can't breathe right. I can't breathe and when we focus on that that just expands so quickly and this brings you into the actual things you're going to be using in the swim long you want to reach long you want to be strong you want to pull that strong and you want to be calm so can you reach and be strong but have the awareness and calmness to be present enough to know that you're okay, that you're fine right now. And this is what I this is what I recommend, this is what I use, and it keeps everything sort of clear for me as I do these swim starts. The other thing, and this is what you can work on with your coach, is what are you doing in training? What are the what are the workouts in the pool that are getting you ready for open water swim starts? And I'll share one, which is jump out of the pool. Do 10 jumping jacks, get your heart rate up, dive back into the pool, do a 50 yards really strong and heavy, then do another 50 yards, keep keep going. So this is continuous, 50 yards strong, like a swim start, and then 50 yards back into your cruise pace, jump yourself out of the pool, pull yourself out of the pool, do 10 more jumping jacks, get your heart rate going again, and do it again, and do it again. Do five or six intervals of these 100 yard um, sets and you'll be experiencing the chaos firsthand and then you'll have the experience to work through it so when you come on race day and you have that experience your mind won't go to what it's conditioned to do it's going to go to what it's doing in the pool which is mimicking exactly what happens at a swim start so then you show up at the swim start and the subconscious goes oh yeah cool i, I know this like we're calm now we're long we're calm we're strong and use that mantra in your in your training and use that mantra as you're envisioning in your meditations as well. So I think that's a pretty good package right there. All right, moving on. Mackenzie, what up, Mac? Question about minimizing. How do you decide what's important and what's not when you're getting rid of stuff? Not clothes and such. It's practical things like kitchenware and storage containers, stuff like that. Well, Storage containers, I think, are just out of hand. Storage units. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole the, other podcast. Storage we units. We need to talk about totally storage units on a podcast. Blow me away. So they take up. And so I know much that space. I, 
there's people listening and they have storage units and my, I encourage you to be curious about why you are paying for an uh, empty square or not an empty square box, but like a square a once empty square box, box now full of your stuff to put your stuff in it. Why that it's it goes against the universal law of giving and receiving. We have to keep this circulation going, you guys. This is where uh, lack and finances and all that stuff comes from. Is like we're we're hanging on to things, and so anyway, storage we're, units. We're hanging on because we may need them in the future. Because we may need them in the future. So, so I've already purchased it. If I get rid of it, then I'm gonna have to spend money to get it again. Yeah. Or you just don't get it again. Right. So if you start thinking of it like that. I know we can go into that. <laughs> I know we're not going to talk about storage units. If you have a storage unit, you're not. You, I'm not putting you down. I'm no, just, it's just get curious. Get about curious it. about your storage unit. There's some opportunity for curiosity there. Okay, practical things like kitchenware. Okay, let's talk about kitchenware. So, you really only need one spatula. You really only need one knife. Knife and maybe a bread knife. If you if you eat bread, we splurged and got a bread knife. You really only need, um, you know. You and Gabe, you need in you need two forks, two spoons, two what knives. What if people come over? Then get two more forks, two. But you know what? I've had people. Remember when my sister was here? Would you tell her to bring? She brought it. They. I told my sister came to visit, and they brought their own wine glasses and plates and silverware from the hotel. And if they didn't have that stuff in their room, then the then the hotel probably had a restaurant and you could just borrow that stuff. So it's like, we hold on to all the stuff in case people come over. And so just look, you like, you just need one spatula. Like we've had one spatula for, I don't know how, we have one. We just bought a new one and I'm totally infatuated with it. The spat, the, oh, the uh, scraper. Oh, the scraper for the. The smoothie bowl for, for, this, for the Vitamix. Yes. We and so got, now that we have a drawer, you know, when we were living out of our car, it was like we would use our fingers to scrape the Vitamix, but. We have a drawer now. So in our drawer, we have one of those rubber spatulas, you know, that you scrape the batter and scrape the smoothie out. We have one spatula to move vegetables around. We have a wooden spoon. We have a bread knife because we, we're like about to kill ourselves using the other knife to cut the bread. And we have a pizza roller. So it's really like you just need, what are the things that you use all the time? And the other things, like the little gadgets and stuff, do you really need them? So I used to love pamper sh Pampered Chef. You did. I remember Yeah, that. I love yeah. I remember the cheese we knife. We had some cool stuff. Remember the, the cheese, cheese knife? Yeah. Oh, my God. But it was like I had this special cheese knife when another knife would have done just fine. So I would look at things that you don't nest that are like, you know, labeled as specific things and just find out if you really need them. We have, I've now produced two cookbooks with one medium sized saucepan and one saute pan. So that's what we have. We have a pizza stone, we have a cookie sheet and we have one cutting board. Now in our old kitchen, we had like three cutting boards or four cutting we had boards. With that whole knife set too up on the Yeah, the knife the set. Wall. How many times are you using all of those knives? I didn't even know what any of those like so I would always just use yeah. the one knife. So here's what you do. Here's the here's the exploration process. Take the things that are questionable that you may need or may not need. You're not sure yet. You you may need them. Put put a whole drawer full of these things in there. Just pull out the drawer, put all these things in there questionable and just work through the next month without going into that drawer. See if you can use your existing stuff to 
to, to cut cheese, to, to scrape the pan, like see what you can use. And at the end of the month, check in with yourself. You didn't use those things. That whole drawer, dump into a bag and bring it to Goodwill or give it to, to friends. And if you need something, then... And if you need something, go into that drawer and get it, but... Well, no, I mean, just get rid of all that stuff. And then if you find that you need oh, yeah. something in the future, then you can, you know, then you have to put a little bit of effort towards it to go get it. And it really makes you question if you need it or not. One thing that we found out that we needed after making our gutter waters was one splurge that we made was this lemon squeezer. And right? I, we never would have bought that if we were still living out of never. our car. But I can tell you, I use it every day. We use the Vitamix every day. We use the lemon squeezer every day. Right. So that was a worthwhile gutters. process. But that it came to a point where how can we be efficient in the morning with these lemons, cutting them and squeezing them and getting seeds? And how can we be efficient in our process to continue on with our day and not spend all this time even though they were maybe 30 seconds or a minute here and there, what can we do to be more efficient? And one of them was the lemon squeezer. So we bought it and we use it every day. So it's something that we readily available. Rarely does it go in the drawer. It's always out because we're using it. And then as far as the storage containers go, that stuff used to make me crazy because we had the cabinet with all the Tupperware and everything in it. And it's like socks in the dryer. It's like, why don't we have any lids or you have too many lids and not enough storage. So first thing is get all the things that are mismatched out, just get them out. And then I would go down to, we have two pieces of Tupperware. They're the glass bottoms. We have a round one, which is pretty deep. And then we have a square one. And we had a smaller one, but that broke. And so we have two Tupperwares. But then what we have is if we need other things, like we've got empty peanut butter jars or empty pickle jars or empty sauerkraut jars that we can put stuff in and put. And then if we start to collect those, then we just recycle them. So we're not going out to buy more Tupperware. We're just using jars and glass that we already have from the items that we're purchasing at the store. So again, keeping that law of circulation, like we, if we find like, oh, we don't need these extra jars that we have, then we'll recycle them knowing, not hanging out, hanging on to them because we might need them, but knowing, right, this law of circulation that we're going to have more glass jars. We're definitely going to be eating more peanut butter and almond butter and sauerkraut. Those are some staples in our house that we'll be able to use those jars. So, and dish towels, you don't need 50 dish towels. Like you need... If we don't have a dishwasher and we have two dish towels. We have two dish towels. Two big dish towels. And then we have these, oh my God, my mother gave us monogrammed. Show towels. Yeah, my mom gave us <laughs> monogrammed show towels for Christmas. Those things are so gnarly now because we're using them to like clean the floor and everything. They've gone from show to not show. <laughs> yeah. Do not show these towels. Yeah, do not show anyone. these towels to anyone, especially they my mother. They were white. They're no longer white. And like we got like this Christmas towel from your aunt Mimi. And I was like, oh, awesome. So, you know, like I used to have towels that I would put out for Christmas and I would use those during Christmas. And now I just use the Christmas towel to clean up a mess on the floor earlier today. So it's just like a towel is a towel. Use it, right? Use the use what you have. So another really um, big thing is I think, speaking of towels, is like bath towels. So when we moved here, we both bought a bath towel and then one hand towel and one face cloth. And we have lived here for over two years and we're still using, like we don't have a backup of towels. We have these 
<laughs> beach towels. Beach towels. Four of them. From the Christmas tree shop in Newport, Rhode Island that we bought when we moved to Newport that are like so... They're disintegrating. It's like They're sandpaper so old. when we dry ourselves off. <laughs> so we really should not even be using I know. them. I kind of just want them to disintegrate so I can get I think, a new towel. I want to say Clark ate one or something. Clark did eat, eat one. one. I yeah. was psyched. Uh, so we use those for the pool. But look at the excess. We have one pair of sheets for our bed. So. I take all the sheets off, I wash them, and then when they come out of the dryer, I put them back on the bed so we don't have a lot of storage of things. And I think that's kind of the practical stuff, just looking at what you have and what you really need. What can you use at one time? Well, you're only going to have one spatula that you're going to be using, so one cutting board. You really don't need a lot of things. So I think that's probably a thing yeah, we covered a good some start. basic stuff. Minimize, Mac. Minimize. Minimize. More. All right. Daniel, vegan-powered athlete. What's up, buddy? When meditating, do you have a predetermined amount of time that you sit? Do you set an alarm or do you just sit in silence until such something pushes you out of it? I set an alarm but find that some days I want to sit past the alarm. Other days, I can't wait for the alarm to go off. <laughs> I totally get it. Should I get rid of the alarm? No. I, and, and I want to know if you're using a meditation app, too. Because we have a, a simple meditation app where we set the time. I'll put a link in the show. Yeah. I, I usually share that uh, with our M21 peeps. So I'll put a link for Android phones and for um, for iPhone. The iPhone one is the one we use. And, and it's, all, all it is is a timer. It, it's not a it's not a uh, a meditation practice where the, somebody will be speaking. It's just a timer. So it dings calmly when you start the uh, meditation, and then you set it for whatever time you want, and then you can actually put. You know, I, I want to be primed like 10 seconds before the end of the session because maybe you just want to do a, a gratitude practice. Uh, but basically, the app will just bring you, it'll start and end your meditation. And yeah, if you want to go longer, absolutely go longer. But but get that sound foundation of your meditation practice going. So for us, we do 45 minutes. 45 minutes, but it, we always always haven't done 45 minutes. We started at both different places. I definitely started at just one breath and then maybe five minutes and then progressed to 15 and then 20. And then I remember my first 30. And then now 45 minutes is pretty much the standard. I don't normally go longer than that. It's already pretty long for me, but I will sit in and be in mini meditations throughout the day where I'll just have to sit down and, and take a few breaths. But I think, I think the alarm... Sometimes you do that when I'm talking to you. Yes, I do. Absolutely it's true. <laughs> I appreciate you noticing that. Yeah. And not, do. and not diving deeper into the conversation. And sometimes you I do. Have. Do you notice like you ask me questions and I just won't answer them? Yeah, I move on. Because you know the answer. So I don't want to give it to you again. Yeah. Or like sometimes you'll ask me a question, I'll go, nope. I, I well, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> I'm not answering that question. <laughs> Like, and then please. you might take, and then you might have a mini meditation. Yeah, I think that's one of the secrets to our our happy marriage is like, you know that it's that it's not me. It's whatever it is that the, I'm serving as the catalyst to show you. Just and the mirror. You do the same thing for me. <laughs> I'm just reflecting. I'm reflecting you. Everything is reflecting. But I love I love that of uh, that note uh, Daniel just said about waiting for it to come, waiting for it to be over. Like I've had plenty of moments where I just want the time to end. Yeah, and that's when you really like, that's when the rubber hits the road, you guys, because that's when the mind says, 
you know, oh, it's, it's got to be done, or I'm just going to check and see how many minutes are left, or maybe I shut the alarm off by a mistake, or maybe I never hit the timer. And there's all this noise. And that's really, like I said, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where you can really make some big ground on concentrating your mind and becoming the master of your mind is that by not entertaining that stuff, because as soon as you pick up that phone to see how much time you have left, the ego just, just got like a um, touchdown big time. Yeah. They're so all fired up. I love that you're meditating, Daniel. This is awesome. Uh, so I'll, I use a meditation timer and I think I, I like the meditation timer because, um, it gives your mind that certainty of like, I'm going for 15 minutes or I'm going for 30 minutes. And really what we want to do is we want to de-excite the mind. And so I, that's a way to de-excite the mind by kind of throwing it a bone and saying, you're just going to do this for 15 minutes. Now, that's not to say that when the timer goes off, if you want to sit longer, sit longer, stay there for long, but set a minimum amount of time and create that routine in your life. And then the days where you can't wait for it to go off, really use your discipline and your will to stay connected with with the breath during those times and not giving energy and fuel to those thoughts that are trying to disrupt you. Uh, and I don't just sit in silence. So my routine is I do a series of pranayama. So breath exercises, which help to concentrate the mind and calm the body. Then I'll use, I do a chakra clearing. Then I move into a mantra and some spinal breathing, and then only then when my, the mind is really concentrated, I move into meditation, which is the mind at rest. And that's taken a long time for my mind to get to rest. And it's not always, it, sometimes it's restless. And in those times where it's restless, I go back to the mantra. And so the mantra I've used since I started meditating is so hum, which is so on the inhale and hum on the exhale. And it simply means I am pure awareness. I also use the mantra om. I don't use much more than that. There have been times where I was really trying to achieve something like not having anxiety attacks anymore and not having fear anymore. And I would use different mantras to help me out of that to program really to reprogram the subconscious, but I don't use those anymore. And even when I'm racing, I really just use ohm or something that's moving through me. So I like the alarm. Um, I think it's good. Get your routine as a non-negotiable in your life and, um, and just do it every day, show up every day. And the longer you go, I think you can hear from Jess, what Jess is saying is the longer you go, the longer you have time to focus the mind the more opportunity you will have to experience what people talk about when they go into meditation. Right. So when you hear people say, I can't do it, I, I can't quiet the mind, most likely that's because they're, they're scratching the surface of the time allotted to focus the mind. Well, and they're just in, they're buying into the resistance. Yeah, right. So the that's longer resistance. you go, you're, you're removing those, you're constantly coming back to the awareness, the, the breath, the focus. I feel like it's like the progression of triathlon. So like a sprint is like 10, 15 minutes. You're like, oh, that was awesome, but that's it. And then now you start getting 20 minutes. Like you're going an Olympic distance. You go 30 minutes. Now you're like, 
half Ironman where you're like, yeah, I can hold this pace. Like this is legit. I like this. This is good. It gives me some time. And now I'm really in the groove. And then like 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Now you're going into Ironman time where, you know, anything can happen and you will ebb and flow and you will go into states of, you know, zero state awareness. And then you'll go into states of total resistance. It really gives your mind and body a chance to have a lot of different experiences but going longer is not necessarily better especially at first you want to get the routine down I don't 10 minutes is too short if you're really looking to start to find some deepening go 20 minutes 20 minutes a day every day uh, if you like to go longer than that, you can do a second meditation at night another 20 or another you know even like a 10 um, would be good, but I wouldn't recommend anything. 10 minutes is just not long enough. It's too enough. quick, especially when we'll, when we'll bang out a 10-minute meditation. It's like, it's we're like, like oh, ugh, oh, man, sucks. we just started. That like, sucks. I just, yeah, <laughs> we don't get in-depth <laughs> enough. Yeah, like I don't get, I want to get to that zero-state yeah. awareness. And I got you got to get through the density and the busyness of the human condition in order to get there, and that takes some time. So stick with it. Those that find that they that their mind is too busy and they give up and they come out of the meditation get into m21 you guys it's well first get into m21. 70 cents a day like if you stayed in the subscription you just do it monthly we figured out it's like 70 cents a day i feel like sally to Struthers. get some guidance I feel like sally struthers yeah. 70 cents a day just to get some guidance on your mindfulness practice i think it's it's so so beneficial yeah Clark. Yeah, it's totally beneficial. Clark wants to join. We're talking about meditation. Clark meditates every day, actually, and sometimes twice a day. But he lays down, and that's the only thing you shouldn't do. You really should sit up. Okay, next question. Mel. Mel, it was so good to Mel. meet you today. It's awesome to we meet you down at the Canyon event. Mel's been binging on the YTP. She has. She is an athlete of our buddies Scotty and Carrie from Keep It Simple Coaching. And we got to meet her today. So big fan of your podcast and Instagram. It's been super helpful as I start out and tries and live in the high vibe life. Yes, love it. Love to hear what's the typical nutrition um, in a day look like for a plant-based athlete. Then do you take full recovery days off? And what is your favorite rest day hack? So, you know, my typical nutrition in a day is, so breakfast is either no breakfast if I'm fasting or it will be a banana and some almond butter oatmeal if i'm doing like a long like tomorrow i have a six hour workout and i'll be eating something about three hours before that and it will be more robust what's in the oatmeal just give me a little little taste because it's just not what we found out is people think oatmeal is just the oats yeah no i will put banana i'll put raisins walnuts coconut i make it with almond coconut milk i put some agave in there cinnamon and almond butter and sometimes if i'm doing an afternoon run i'll make a really big helping and just let that fully digest and fill my cells and then I go out when it's fully digested because you gotta you want to have oatmeal fully, especially if you're using the old-fashioned oats and not like a more quick, the quick oat, oats, yeah. which would be easier to digest. And um, or if I'm if I'm doing an afternoon workout, sometimes I'll do a smoothie bowl. So that's typically my breakfast. I don't I'm not normally like a toast and you know nut butter. Uh, don't do cereal. 
yeah, that's pretty much what I eat. Lunch is usually a big salad, like spinach, kale, sauerkraut, dried cranberries, hemp seeds, maybe pumpkin seeds. Sometimes I'll throw a veggie burger on top, nutritional yeast. I make it with a little bit of olive oil and apple cider vinegar. And then dinner usually includes uh, legumes, so some kind of bean, chickpeas. We do a lot of coconut curry. We do a lot of beans and rice. We do a lot of pizza. I have an entire cookbook on pizza. And, or, uh, and also a lot of vegetables. And, you know, Beej and I are just, we're so in tune. Like sometimes we just are like, we just need, the other night we just made a huge thing of sauteed Swiss chard and roasted broccolini. It was unbelievable. It was so good. And we served that up with some Prager Brothers sourdough bread. And they make this bread the old fashioned way. So I have absolutely no issues like with the gluten or anything like that. It's so good. And then we served it up with some sauerkraut. So I would say that's kind of a typical day. Yeah, I would I would add to that. For me, Jess is definitely the almond butter person in the in the household. I'm more peanut butter. So I'll have my traditional morning breakfast is a banana with some peanut butter. But like just mentioned, the the fasting in the morning, I do that occasionally where I just won't ha- have... Haven't been doing it as much as our training's ramping up for yeah, our races. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I've been We're... waking up pretty hungry. My yeah. metabolism just just like shot. Yeah, as your volume picks up. So listen, this is listening to your body, but in those op- those chances when your volume is a little bit low and steady, yeah, you can take the opportunity to just hold off on a meal, let your... Let your gut just work its work itself out for a bit, and then start adding in um, high vibe food. But I love, you know, my I'm training two or three times a day, so I the thing that I pretty much change in that is maybe I won't have that salad in the afternoon. It might be a, a recovery smoothie bowl, which will have the greens and you know the broccoli and the kale in it, but it's digested more easily in a liquid format, so that I have my next workout, you know, an hour or two after that, and. That's worked well for me. I do. I would replace that with the salad Jess talked about because that's that's our go-to salad. And we'll just it's, throw. We always have like brown rice or quinoa or something already made up in the fridge, and then in some of those recycled jars, we'll have chickpeas or white beans. We always or leftover meal from the night before. Yeah, we always have black beans, white beans, chickpeas on hand at always, all times. Always beans and quinoa and brown rice all the time and we have avocados all the time we have a shitload of bananas all the time sorry jody who listens to this and does not like bananas poor thing she's like can you just do a podcast so you don't talk about bananas i love bananas okay all right let's let's move on i think that's all pretty right. pretty good yeah and then do you take uh full recovery days off so i'll let beach uh answer this question because um he's the coach i it's, it's rare Okay, I just told you that you would talk, and then I talked. I just want to say one thing. It's just one, guys. Rare, just say one thing. It's rare that I ever take a day off and do nothing. And if I do, I'm pretty adamant about it. Like, I am doing nothing, and I'm not even leaving the house today. But that's rare. Go. <laughs> Thank you. So I prescribe... Did you just have a mini meditation? <laughs> I did. I wanted you to finish your thought. I didn't know if there was more. Mm-mm. Okay. So yeah, as a coach, as a coach, I don't prescribe one specific day off unless an athlete 
has commitments or prior obligations on that day or a travel day or, or something is set in stone, maybe family obligations, and that's okay. But off the bat, I don't prescribe it because I don't like to predict how you're gonna feel on one certain day every week. You know, that can change. And so if you're feeling good and you take a day off, well, why wouldn't why aren't we capitalizing on how good you're feeling and add another day in there and then maybe take the next day off. So that's something I've learned from my coaches and something that speaks directly to how I actually perform and train myself. I rarely take a day off. I think yesterday, fr uh, or what's today, Saturday? So Friday, I took off. We had nothing to stay and I didn't do a workout. But we probably walked two and a half, three miles. True. True. So even just like active recovery. But before that, it was probably the last nothingness day. So I, I work out every day doing something. And so if I don't have a prescribed workout and I'm just trying to do rest, my go-to, my absolute go-to is yoga. And it's an hour yoga practice. I'll do it at home. If the if the time is right and, I, and the classes align, I'll go to a heated, a power, vinyasa class which is my jam that's what i would consider recovery because you're in a hot heated room and you're detoxifying your body you're sweating things out you're also training the mind you're taking a step back from trying to perform at your best because yoga is not about enduring or being the best in the yoga pose it's it's how you can tap into your breath and work on your present moment awareness. That's what I feel from the yoga class. And when you add that heat element to it, the humidity and the, and the, and the heat and the sweat, you're bringing all these elements into, into your body to recover it in a way that it's not familiar with. So it's actually it's shocking the system a bit. And I've had the best, best workouts the days after a yoga class like that. And, and if it is on a hard training day, I'll do my hard run, hard bike, and then jump into that yoga studio. That's my recovery hack. That would be boom, like get that in right after a hard session. That's my jam. What's yours? I would say that my favorite recovery hack is actually one that I just recently brought back into my life, which is yoga nidra. And yoga nidra is yogic sleep. And so you do it laying down, yay. And you can find YouTube videos like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and you lie down and it gets you into that theta brainwave where it's like when you, you know, when you get like a massage, um, <laughs> we have so many athletes listening to this probably be like, yeah, I don't get into the theta brainwave. Like my massage is what so painful, is that theta but the, the theta brainwave is like when you, you want to speak, but you like if somebody asked you a question, like you couldn't answer them because you're just so relaxed and it's actually more restful than sleeping. So I love yoga Nidra and I would highly recommend that every athlete check that out. There's a lot of free videos and essentially it's moving your awareness around the body, just listening to the instructor's voice. And it's just, and I love it too, as a mind training thing, because it's shifting your focus and putting your focus on where you are telling your focus to go and not where the thoughts are drawing you to. And it's extremely restful and I love it. Okay. And that's it from Mel and Rachel. Any tips on dealing with open water swimming and getting nausea? 
I've never had issues with motion sickness, but around the 45 minute mark with open water swimming, I start to get nauseous and it makes getting nutrition challenging on the bike and run. Any tips are greatly appreciated. Well, you know, I, I would say same thing I said to Lori and Rachel, I don't know if you meditate or not, but even just to start using this as an envisioning where your subconscious right now is programmed to get nauseous 45 minutes in. And so, yes, it's a physiological thing that's happening. I'm not saying it's not happening, but we are so much more in control of our experience or we have the ability to be so much more in control of our experience than we realize. And this is all a part of the mind training um, that we we are proponents of here at Yogi Triathlete. So envisioning yourself getting to that 45-minute mark and feeling wonderful. And maybe that's even as you're doing this, you're using peppermint oil to infuse you know, the room that you're in or just having peppermint oil on your hands and smelling that and really getting that into your cells because peppermint oil is a wonderful thing for nausea. And then I'd also question, I would also want to know when are you eating prior to this open water swimming? And are we talking about racing? I'm assuming we're talking about racing because you're saying you're having trouble getting nutrition in on the bike and the run. So how, what are you eating before the races? We recommend that you get your food in three hours prior to the race start. And then right before the race start, you know, 15 minutes before having whatever your go-to is. So a gel or something or banana, something light that's going to absorb. But I'm wondering if there's a, f a battle going on with digestion as the blood is being rerouted to your muscles and away from your belly. And then that could um, halt the digestion if the food, if you haven't given the food enough time. And so our pre-race meal that we love is applesauce, a scoop of protein powder and a banana. And it just, we, we have not had nutritional issues. Three hours from the race start at all. Before um, the race start. What do you got B? So I think, I think also the same similar situation that Lori has. And this is something I found out when I was early on in, in the sport of triathlon. Are you going the intensity in open water for the first 45 minutes that you're doing in training are you is it the same intensity is it the same length duration you know if you're doing pull workouts and you're doing pull workouts for 99 percent of all your swimming and then you're going to a swim start in the ocean and you're swimming 45 minutes straight how how long have you done that in a pool have you ever swam 45 minutes straight to test out that the intensity you're using in the pool would match that that you're using in the ocean so I found that out when I was having nutritional issues was when I got to the race day, I was going way harder than it would ever go in training. So yeah, I'm taxing the system. All the blood is going to my arms, my legs, it's, and I'm trying to put fuel in my stomach and the blood flow is getting redirected. Now, if I do that in a training session, you know, I've got, I can go to the end of the pool. I drink my bottle. I can take a gel in. I can say, screw this. I'm going home. Right. So there's, there's that factor also. <laughs> so think about that. Think about the intensity that you're using in your race day, your race day out in the open water versus what you're doing in training. Do they match and do they match in intensity and duration? The second thing I would say is when you come on off, out of the water and onto the bike, let your stomach settle. 
Like let things work itself out. If you take anything in, it's water. And then take water in every 10 or 15 minutes. Get to that point, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. Get to an hour where you're like, oh, okay, well now the belly is a little like stable. Like I haven't felt anything. Start your nutrition. You will be a little delayed in getting the calories in, but at least you're not gonna have that uncomfortable feeling in the stomach. And the stomach has time to work itself out. If it's salt water, yeah, the water is gonna help dilute it. That's what I found, like just straight up water. So you gotta tap into to how, how you're feeling and you also need to, to be disciplined about writing down what you're doing, what you're testing out so that you know what will work and what doesn't work. And I, you just, like if she's come, so if she's an Ironman, or Half or any man. other or any other um, any other triathlon, you're gonna have like your stuff at your transition area. Ironman, you'll have your your bag, and so a couple things: get this peppermint oil in your transition area because it's it's huge. Use it before the race. Do the pre-race pranayama that we're gonna put in the show notes because that's. Um, that's gonna affect your nervous system. It's also going to affect the physicality of your body because it's going to stretch and strengthen and contract, get the breathing muscles ready. So you're you're really setting yourself up for success. But I'm seeing like in the transition to have like a little Ziploc bag with like a wet rag in it that's just got a bunch of pep- peppermint oil on it and put that right up to your nose and take a massive whiff. Be careful not to wipe your fingers to and your eyes. put your chamois cream key. on first. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Because you don't want to be coming in hot, if yeah. you know what I mean. I think mean. that's a good idea. I think the peppermint oil is great. Peppermint also, oil is amazing. What about that rescue remedy we used to use? That stuff was really good. That's for anxiousness. That might be okay. good for... Lori. Lori doesn't need it. because yeah, Lori's, Lori's already tapped but, into the power that creates worlds because she's an M21. But the so. <laughs> peppermint, no, seriously. Peppermint's super powerful for digestion. Just... Uh, to, to ease the stomach, but it's also good for headaches. You know, I found out it just, it's an overall body, like, and you could put calm. a little, if you just had, so let's say you're like, calm. I'm not doing a Ziploc and losing all that time. Just have a bottle of peppermint oil, put your chamois cream on first, and then put a couple dabs right on your fingers and put some on your temples and right at the base of your skull and then take a big whiff. And, uh, and that should really get into your system. Peppermint oil is pretty powerful stuff. All right. Last question from Jody. I probably missed the session. No, you didn't. Um, because we're, we said we were going to record this on Thursday and it's Saturday night at seven o'clock. But, uh, but we, we are in the hustle. We're in the hustle. We and yesterday we with- had nothing this day. And today we were at the Canyon 360 event and we just got all juiced. And we were like, let's just record after that event. Cause we're going to be juiced. And the timing is perfect. So your question. Yeah, it was fun. Came just so like your right timing time. is perfect. She'd love to talk about meditation and seeing different colors, even when the room lights are low and your eyes are closed. Does this have significant meaning? So this happens a lot. You'll see colors as you as you uh as you meditate i think especially at the beginning i don't really see if i see anything now it's violet or just bright white light and so the thing about meditation is the mind is going to want to get involved and intellectualize it it's going to want to know like why is this happening what does this mean is this a sign and i'm not saying that that's what you're doing jody but that might be what the mind's going to do as you continue on this meditation journey. So honestly, the colors that you're seeing are just, 
reflections of the chakra you're hanging out in. So you've got red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo. You might see violet, which is the crown, um, white light, which is source energy. When I first started, I was all red. I would always see red and flashes of orange, which is the root chakra and the sacral chakra. And it just meant that that was really where my awareness was, which those are the the solar plexus, the sacral chakra, and the root chakra are your physical chakras. So I saw a lot of that at the beginning because I was hanging out more in my attachment to the physical world. And then the green and the blue and the indigo and the violet and the white, that's all your spiritual chakras. So it just, it doesn't, I wouldn't say it's a significant meaning. It's just kind of telling you where your awareness in that moment of time is hanging out. Yeah, I used to see white a lot. And I still do see white a lot. It's like a white spot and it kind of goes in and out, kind of fades in and out. And then another white spot comes in. And I remember asking meditation, meditator Bob, like, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he was like, it's, it's just where you are in that moment. It's just what you're seeing. It's just where you are in that There's moment. There's no like... The mind so wants it to be exciting. It wants to know. It wants to know. Like, and significant and all that stuff. But, but it, it's, it does mean that you're focusing because you are seeing this white light. Like you're, you're not focusing on the thoughts that are yeah, coming in Yeah, no, you're definitely so tapping into yeah, non-physical energy. Absolutely. Non-physical energy yeah. and support. Another thing that you might experience when you meditate is you might feel like a tingling in your face. And so I was like, this was happening a lot at the beginning. And I was like, what, am I like stroking out? Like, am I going to have a seizure? What is it? And it's just that you're, that means that you're just, you're starting to become more aware and more in touch with the subtle energies of non-physical support, which the physical world that we see every day, which is like the world of the senses, right? We see it, we hear it, we touch it, we taste it, we feel it. That's a very, very tiny piece of what's available. It's just so freaking obvious because that energy is very dense. And the rest, which is like the majority of what's available to us is non-physical support. And that's high vibrational support and high vibrational energy, which is less dense. So it's more subtle. And so as most people are living in the density of the physical world, the subtle energy is there all the time. It's just that we are so in the density that the non-physical support is completely lost on most people. But as you continue to raise your vibration through meditation, you'll be more in touch and more aware of that non-physical support and those subtle energies of, you know, the divine energy, your higher self energy, whatever it is that you want to call it. And then that becomes like your guiding light. That's what decides what races you're going to do and what shoes you're going to buy and what spatulas you're going to get rid of, because that's the one that's just all knowing. And it's the undisturbed part of you that doesn't get racked by anything. It's just, it's just, it just there is. until it can get out of here. Is what it is, but it's the unchanging part. No matter if we're in a body or we're not in a body, body, that energy is always the same. It's the highest vibration of unconditional love. All right. Wow, that was Dude, solid. Just, great questions, guys. Keep them, keep it them out. coming. What? What? Keep them coming. We've got great yeah. interviews coming up. Really good interviews. If you're not a supporter, you can be a supporter. Five dollars a month, ten dollars a month to. Uh, 
$100,000 a month, whatever it is, to help us keep the podcast going. I really don't want to do commercials and sponsorship and things like that. Really, I like the vibe of this. Uh, the feedback we're getting is that people love that we don't have that stuff. And so, um, yeah, and you know, I did a video the other day um, in on fear in the M21 Revolution group. And the way I ended it was really inspired by my teacher. So I'm going to end this podcast with that same question, which is, we are all a reflection of the energy that creates worlds. So what is it again that you can't do?